0: Hey everyone, welcome into Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about seances, the Schumann resonance, and what Arrow calls UAP engagement. With me today, as always, is my co host, Garrett. How's it going, man? I'm good. How are you doing, dude? I'm good. Nice little uh, morning recording we're doing for the first time today. Um, we were going to record last night, but uh, I think Garrett had other plans. Um, Getting a little wine drunk and yelling at QAnon people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, it was his mom's birthday. It was his mom's birthday. So, yeah. So let's, uh, let's just get into it, dude. Um, I guess uh, two days ago, it was weird. They usually release these reports on Fridays, uh, from what I remember, but uh, on, I think it was Wednesday afternoon, well, first, there was a CNN report that came out where Kirkpatrick, um, who, for those who don't know, uh, Arrow is the Pentagon's new UAP office. Well, it's not so new anymore. It got uh, put into place about two or three years ago, really a year ago, It's where it's been actually like doing shit. They kind of put it off for a year. But um, they came out with a new report and it's basically just bullshit. You know, it's they could have put this shit together in a day and, uh, you know, it wouldn't look any different, basically. It really just has an update on the number of cases that have been reported to them in the past year since the last report came out. And that's pretty much it. They just, like, repeat the same bullshit over and over. There's I guess there's a few graphs in there um, that look like they were made by a five-year-old in um, (laughs) fucking kindergarten class or something. Uh, So there's really nothing much. It just looks like they were trying to take up space. So basically what happened was on Wednesday, Kirkpatrick did an interview with CNN that was released a few hours before the report dropped. So essentially, he was trying to spin the report and downplay anything that might be taken seriously or people might have actual questions about. He tried to get in front of it pretty much, and I think it's really telling that Kirkpatrick can't, you know, just let a report drop without having to preempt it with his own opinion or his own spin, Every time, every single fucking time something happens where the government has to address UFOs, they act sketchy over and over again. Like, why did he have to spin this report? No one even knew it was really coming out until the day of. (laughs) So yeah, the CNN article drops where he basically acts like a gatekeeper. The mask kind of slips where he's like, You know, I can tell you that we're looking into this and there's some interesting signatures and, uh, yeah, that's about all I can tell you. He clearly just doesn't give a fuck, like, about (laughs) about the public and um, just the fact that he had to spin it. And he couldn't just let it come out without having his commentary beforehand, I think, says a lot about it.
1: One, I certainly noticed with... uh... Kirkpatrick, every time he talks about this subject, and then when I follow up and look at his qualifications, I find that I'm always really, and, and I, I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm really impressed at how qualified scientifically of an individual he is. And then when he speaks, it's almost insulting. Because, <laughs> I am for real. Because, like, every time he speaks, it is it is very unscientific. It's very uh, not curious. He has no sense of wonder when he talks about, like, our planet and what people are actually describing, what these pilots are describing. He—and and for those who aren't aware, like, his background is in plasma science, right? Like, his—I uh, think his PhD had to do with either, like, electromagnetics or plasma or something really unique. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, this
0: guy knows his shit. He was— picked for this for, you know, <laughs> a reason, I mean, and I don't even think really his scientific background is the reason, but he, he's definitely qualified. I think they found the right guy uh, in, in someone who would continue the cover up, have enough uh, public speaking ability to give interviews and also have the credentials. But, but you're right. He is definitely uh, scientifically um, trained for this position.
1: Just when it comes to the, his attitude towards UFOs and uh, the people who want to have disclosure, I feel like he fundamentally misunderstands what these people are asking for. It sounds like he wants to conflate people who think this phenomenon is real as like wishful thinking cultists and uh, Internet trolls. And that's just not the case whatsoever. Like, of course, those people are there, and I've come across many of them. <laughs> but the the problem is, is when we conflate the entire subject to that, the cover-up continues. You know what I mean? And that's one of the reasons why To the Stars was so integral, in my opinion, was because, like, they, they set out for a specific mission. And Dave Fravor said it in his sworn testimony with Grush and with— uh, Lieutenant Ryan Graves, Dave Fravor was talking. He said he that that he had heard that Lou Elizondo was upset and he resigned in protest and that he joined Tom DeLonge's company to the Stars Academy and along with other names like uh, Steve Justice, who's a respectable, honorable guy. You know what I mean? Steve Justice, for those who don't know, he was like one of the head engineers for Lockheed Skunk Works. That's not an easy job to get. You know, and uh, I consider Steve Justice, all of these individuals are brave, but I consider Steve Justice one of the bravest because we all know the associations behind Lockheed Martin or the uh, rumors around Lockheed Martin and what they might possess. We're seeing two different narratives spilled out right now. And so far, the DOD narrative that has been nothing to see here. We have a couple orbs, (laughs) like not really very extensive, whereas all these other individuals that were honorable, respectable people, scientists are saying, we don't know what's going on. Our pilots, we don't know what's going on. We're not capable of defending ourselves had we engaged this tic-tac. I feel like what Kirkpatrick's been saying has not given anybody peace of mind in any area. It has only given the DOD more time to try to obfuscate this topic. I don't fully know. It's easy to throw stones, I feel like, from my perspective, because I really don't know the entirety and scope of why this cover up is happening, you know? But, like, at the end of the day, it's been how many years? Over 70 years since Roswell, and the obfuscation has been there since day one. And that's something Tim Burchett keeps harkening back to is like, We just want to we just want transparency on this. And I feel like Kirkpatrick is the king of obfuscation when it comes to trying to be clear with the American people about this topic. We've heard multiple credible people say that they have among the most compelling video photo. I know I shared the other day Chris Mellon talking about one of our satellites that can see down to the deepest depths of the ocean up to the very peak of our atmosphere why don't we get the ball rolling on that type of data and share that with the american people or at least share what isn't a risk to national security i think that they should share um because the and at the end of the day the american people paid for that data
0: one of the most obnoxious parts about this report is that it says nothing in the main body of it. it rep- repeats itself over and over says we have this many we worked with these agencies we and then it hints like maybe once it hints at anomalous craft and the rest of it is about fucking balloons and you know might as well put seagulls in there at this point it's fucking just fuck with us but uh but the thing is at the end of the report there's an appendix that that says a glossary of terms and pretty much everything in this glossary it's describing anomalous phenomena that the rest of the report basically just ignores. So in these definitions, like like I'll read a couple of them right now just to kind of explain like what I'm talking about. Like what they do in the in the glossary, they define UAP as um sources of anomalous detections in one or more domains. Uh, airborne, seaborne, spaceborne, and/or transmedium that are not yet attributable to known actors, and that demonstrate behaviors that are not readily understood by sensors or observers. And then it goes into lists: spaceborne UAP, airborne UAP, seaborne UAP, transmedium UAP. Like we have not heard Kirkpatrick say the fucking word transmedium once in like a, you know, comprehensive uh, context. The the one thing he said about transmedium is that they've disproven one of the cases he said that during the nasa uh the original nasa hearing i think back in june or july whenever that was yeah there's a few more on here uap objects and material corporeal artifacts of uap uap may contain one or more uap objects e.g. airborne craft exhibiting apparent anomalous capabilities. UAP material are samples in whole or in part of UAP objects, for example, debris. So in the glossary, they're talking about crash retrieving materials from, I assume, crashes. And then the most interesting one is called UAP engagement. This definition is bringing UAP under kinetic or non-kinetic fire to deny, disrupt, or destroy the phenomenon and or its objects. The the phrase destroy the phenomenon is fucking bonkers. And it's only in the glossary that we even get any sort of mention of it. It's so bizarre. It's like, what the fuck do you mean? Destroy the phenomenon and or its objects. You have that in the glossary for a reason. You're not going to elaborate on that at all. Like, are you just fucking with us at this point? Like, It's crazy. I don't know. One more interesting one is UAP interrogation. The elicitation of UAP location, capabilities, characteristics, and or intent using passive and or active sensing capabilities, including but not limited to electro-optical imagery, infrared, thermal, radio frequency radar, light, laser, lidar, ladar, electromagnetic, gravitational, and radioactive means. Like, there's so much shit in this glossary, and they just, like, don't address it. Like, I I, don't—I don't know, dude. It drives me nuts. The phrase, destroy the phenomenon.
1: I hear that, me, myself, as sleight of hand with language. When he says, like, phenomena—in my understanding, I think phenomena is plural. Plural. So, like, I think that when he says that, we know what that UFO, what that means is unidentified flying object, Right. And so that lumps in a lot of things that aren't necessarily non-human intelligence, right? And I think when he says that, he's saying that like there may be debris or things that we deem are unsafe in our skies that we just destroy. And you know what I I, I that's how I understood it when I read right. that. But uh But but here, it, like
0: so it says destroy the phenomenon and or its objects. That to me says they're referring to the phenomenon as an entity because it's possessive of objects, right? That, I, that's how I read it. Mm, you know what I mean? That's the, an interesting. The phenomenon and or its objects. So it's something is possessing these objects. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe this is in the classified report.
1: I wonder. I wonder if Congress which is supposed to be the voice of the people, they seem to be as informed as the populace, maybe a sl- slightly more because of what they get to ask these pe- The Can we talk about how they finally got a fucking skiff? Oh my God. Like that shit was taking forever. And yeah. now finally, for those who weren't aware, a lot of that, uh, three person panel of, uh, Dave Grush, Ryan Graves, and, uh, commander David Fravor, In their testimony to Congress, they were saying multiple times. They were saying, I can't answer that, but if we can get a skiff, I can give you more information on that. First off, they almost didn't even let them uh, do this hearing under oath. That's something Jeremy Corbell pointed out was like they were trying to make it to where this wasn't even under oath. They wanted it to seem as non-credible as possible. They ended up getting it under oath. Then they say they need a skiff. They wouldn't give them a skiff. I'm sure that there's issues that they can be granted that access within five minutes. Just recently, in the past few weeks, they were given, they, according to Representative Burchette, they were given access to skiffs to talk to these individuals. I'm, I'm very curious to see how that changes Congress's attitude towards this issue and what areas they're actually going to press and what doors they're going to knock on. Even stories like Bob Lazar. Why the fuck is Bob Lazar saying all these things? Is it because he's a liar? Is it because he was shown certain things that people wanted him to see? I'd like to get answers to a lot of these questions. And I think that Congress was in a position where they like really couldn't move the ball until they got access to that skiff and understood what doors to knock on. In general, I think when he's talking about destroying the phenomenon, now that you say that with that context... We might start to learn about what Tom was talking about with uh, Starfish Prime and what we've learned about EMP. I've even heard that Italian commander, Clarbruno Verdruccio mention weird things that we've learned with frequencies of UFOs. And I think that we might learn very soon everything exists on a spectrum, right? I think that we're going to start to learn more about how UAP The reason why they just appear and disappear is because our sensors can only detect them when they're within a certain frequency. And if it is a higher technology deciding to show itself or not show itself, that adds a whole other realm of complication to this topic. One of the positive things you do hear from Elizondo is that apparently some of these things we can brick and we can use EMP and like make non-usable, at least temporarily, and make it seem like if an engagement were to happen, we wouldn't be totally caught off guard. And it seems like out of any capability we do have, that might be one that they might be okay with sharing. You know, like as far, because a lot of this topic coming from them, they don't want to be in a position where they say, we can't protect against XYZ. They want to be able to say, here's what we know. Here's what we've done. You know what I mean? And uh, I think the public's reaction to them saying, we saw one of these things and we took it out. I think that would be much more positive if it did have any negative anything. And you know what I mean? Any any negativity, the public, I think, would want to hear that we're able to defend ourselves and engage it. Otherwise, I bet they don't even want to mention it. I
0: think Eric Davis is the one who said, you know, how do you... Investigate something scientifically—that's so much more advanced than you, you know—and then he goes on to to call it, you know, it's a it's a counterintelligence problem. It's not a scientific problem because you can't study scientifically, um, yeah, something that's so elusive and unrepeatable. You know, it's basically fucking with us. I always find that quote from David Eric Davis to be interesting. So, I mean, yeah, it was a disappointment. Not really surprised about it. I'm just glad like Gary Nolan's foundation, the Soul Foundation, is starting to kind of ramp up their stuff. They're having a, I guess they're having a conference or like an an inaugural event at Stanford, I think in mid-November. And the list is pretty impressive. It's Eric Davis is on there, Diana Pasolka, Jacques Vallée, um, and a bunch of other people. I think Mellon, Chris Mellon's on there. And yeah, that that should be a nice little uh, kick in the ass where um they can get the government's attention and um you know let certain departments like know that there's academia like just waiting in the wings ready to help them study this stuff because i I think that would be helpful, yeah, I think that's enough on the uh uap report because I, I check out the glossary that's that's literally the only thing worth reading and uh try to extrapolate from there because they didn't tell a
1: shit that's something that is real interesting to me is that if we're trying to observe something that's intelligent, that's going to make our science really stretch. And we might have to start like crossing over different areas where like I know that scientists roll their eyes at religious folks because they're a lot of the way they talk is very unscientific and uh, from points of authority. You're not going to get scientific truth out of scripture because modern science has only been around in the past 500 years. So how are we going to get anything scientific from the Bible? You won't, but you could get stuff that is maybe allegorical or poetic. I heard Jacques Vallée mention that in the uh, real old Jeffrey Mishlove video was he was saying that like one idea that gets tossed around is that human beings are creating these things as a challenge to ourselves. To get us through whatever um, challenges that our species faces collectively, so like it could be that like these things coming down and telling us not to drop nuclear bombs, telling us not to fight in these wars, it could be uh, from like the Jungian perspective, uh, the collective unconscious evolutionarily providing humans the challenge it needs to survive as a species
0: and that's something i love about peter lavenda is he talks about needing a multidisciplinary approach to um studying this you know the ufo phenomenon and he talks about i think i've mentioned it before that like science is so compartmentalized like everyone's in their own little you know corner and studying very specific things and there's no real overview of all the different sciences and um You know, it really pushes for more involvement from from other areas of, you know, the humanities and, uh, you know, anthropology. You can't leave it all up to the physicists because really, you know, physics is just one interpretation of the universe um, and it's pretty fucking new. It might be the most useful at, at this point in time when it comes to studying the technology behind the UFO phenomenon. Another thing Lavenda says is um, people, people talk about science a lot when what they really mean is technology. Um, there's a difference between science and technology. And I think that needs to be thought about more uh, in the context of, of this, you know, the UFO subject. But speaking of Lavenda, I think you had something you wanted to uh, talk about that he, he wrote about or something like that.
1: Because we were hinting earlier, we were talking about seances. And uh yes. <laughs> we've we we've mentioned this army doctor, uh, Andrea Puharic, who uh he's not alive today. He was alive like I'm trying to like think of when he was born. I don't even fucking remember when Puharic was <laughs> born. I know that uh <laughs> fuck, hold on. Let me <laughs> let me look this up because I think he 1996. died in
0: 96.
1: He died where he died in ninety six, you said?
0: No, I'm just fucking kidding. Oh okay.
1: <laughs> Yeah, hold on. Let me look. Andrea Puharik was born in 1918 and lived to 1995. One of the interesting parts of Puharik, among many things, because the guy had a very strange, interesting life. I fucking when I read that Sinister Forces book one, bro, I was like, I am learning every person's name that was at this bitch. And I'm going to (laughs) fucking try to take notes on all of them and what they do. But I got to find it real quick. Is this what Tom
0: was talking about in his uh, interview with Steva? He was talking about a seance where someone got possessed.
1: I would have to rewatch it to tell you for sure. Um, I did. I, I did ask him <laughs> about... Would, uh, you asked him about Dr. V-Node? Is that what it was? No, I asked
0: him what the seance was. And he sent me a book that was like the Interdimensionals or something. But... Um, I could not not find it in there. So I'm I'm not sure that was the right one, but
1: this is what got me interested in this was there's two, two books that I want to recommend. One of them was Peter LaVenda sinister forces series. That's a trilogy of books, but in book one it's called the nine and I'm going to explain what that was. And then the other book that got me into this was a book by Nick Redfern who we mentioned. in when we were talking about Robert Oppenheimer, um, Nick Redfern wrote a book called Final Events, and it's talking about how like a lot of this obfuscation, in his opinion, and I feel like he he builds a pretty strong case, comes from uh, subsections within these programs that have a real religious way of thinking about UFOs. Like they think that they're demons, and he calls this group the Collins Elite, and uh, I, I hear some of these favorite names we hear tossed around constantly asked on podcasts about the collins elite it's not something that they dismiss strangely enough like it's something that they're like yeah i mean something along those lines might yeah, exist it's, always, in a-
0: <laughs> it's always like yeah it's a they always have to clarify it's like a loosely based um you know it's just it's not it's not like a fucking group like like an mj12 type thing it's a it's a loosely based like belief system right connects the you know top brass and in, right. in the air force and you know because they because fucking the air force academy is like in colorado springs which is like the biggest evangelical it has the biggest e- evangelical population in the country or something like that i uh, i read in um this book the family there's a documentary on netflix actually about it it's, pr- it's pretty good and uh it talks about this kind of evangelical network that that and controls a lot of the stuff that goes on in Washington, and um, it's really interesting. But there is one chapter on Colorado Springs, and they basically built this evangelical megachurch up on the top top of this hill, like, basically, so the Air Force Academy, uh, you can see it from there. And it's, like, huge, and it's got the same colors as the Air Force, and it's, like, super obvious that they're trying to just recruit, you know. Everyone who's, who's at the Academy, um, they have what they call— sells, I guess, you know, like a group of people who, who you know, go and try to recruit uh, Air Force people into their church. And it's it's actually really kind of disturbing. And um, I think that has a lot to do with uh, why certain, you know, high-ranking
1: officials in the Air Force are are pretty religious. In Nick Redfern's book, Final Events, one of the strangest lines in that book is he says that the CIA began to uh, infiltrate seances in 1952. And I was like, what the fuck? When I read that, I was like, where is he getting that from? And there's this book that's like extremely hard to find, bro. It's called Unmasking the Enemy. And it's what Nick Redfern cites is like where he got that sentence from. Unmasking the Enemy is by this guy uh, named, I think his name is Nelson Pacheco. It's him and this other guy, and I think Nelson Pacheco was like a 20-plus year Air Force veteran, and he wrote this book about UFOs from like this Catholic perspective, and it talks a lot about angels and demons and all sorts of shit like that. But it's again, it's an extremely hard book to find, but that's what Redfern cites when he talks about that line of like infiltrating seances. Anyways, this guy, Puharik, was interested in uh, weaponizing psychic ability, it appeared. And in 19, the early 1950s, he had met this Indian mystic named Dr. Vinod. And he had convinced Vinod to, like, come to his uh, farmhouse in Maine with this group he had. And his Puharik's parapsychological group was called the Round Table Foundation. And... Uh, the members of this group were like absolute powerhouses in terms of like cultural Americans. They were like people that everyone knew and recognized. And uh, essentially it ended up being nine people total. If you want to rattle them off, their names were Henry Jackson, Georgia Jackson, Alice Bouvier, Marcella DuPont, Carl Betts, Vonnie Beck, Arthur Young, Ruth Young, Andrea Puharic and this mystic Dr. Vinod was like the channeler. Vinod began to channel some force and told the group that they had made contact with the Nine. Um, the Nine claimed through Vinod that nine extraterrestrials or nine principles and forces, as they say, were now in contact with the group. They were extraterrestrial beings living on a large invisible spacecraft hovering over the planet. Um, according to Peter Lavenda's book the, on the nine, he says that Vinod went into a trance promptly at 1215 AM and then R, one of the extraterrestrial nine began speaking through him at 1230 AM threads appeared out of nowhere on the floor in front of Vinod and he passed one to each of the human nine telling them tonight we want to create Brahmins in this world and that the thread was a sign of their initiation. Puharik was very intrigued by this interaction and subsequently spent years trying to find mediums who could contact the Nine. In the 1974 book, Uri, A Journal of the Mystery of Uri Geller, Puhark catalogs meeting Geller in 1971 and eventually getting him to channel the Nine. And one of the interesting things about Geller is like when he met Uri... He claimed that Uri was so, I guess you would say, powerful. He would say that he was so powerful that Uri could contact the entire nine himself. Whereas v and when he would do the seance in 1953, they were channeling through the members of the group. It, it, it adds, I left that book with a lot of questions, you know, like I didn't know whether this group genuinely thought they were contacting a non-human intelligence, or I didn't know if Puharik was just putting on a show to influence these powerful Americans using some secret technology or method or practice. You know what I mean? Like it's possible that when they were holding that quote unquote seance, they might've been testing some technology on that V-node guy. I'm just playing devil's advocate because like, I think to claim that everything that v said was true or what they reportedly said was true and that all of those things were sincere and honest. I feel like that's an extraordinary claim and it would require extraordinary evidence. I feel like Occam's Razor says that this group was involved in some shenanigans.
0: You're talking about some sort of like voice of God thing. Like well, where, yeah,
1: <laughs> I didn't say it.
0: Yeah, so that brings me into something I wanted to talk about in this episode, which um, I think you're familiar with it, but uh, it's called "From Psyop to Mind War: The Psychology of Victory." He he basically starts off talking about psychotronics. Anyway, he um yeah the footnote at the end of this he talks about atmospheric electromagnetic activity and ionization of the air and ELF waves, and the main source for a lot of this stuff is this book called "Cycles of Heaven." The book essentially is about how all the energy in the universe interacts with uh, you know, the human body. Yeah, In this book, they talk about the Schumann resonance, which is basically um, a mechanism uh, by which extremely low frequency and very low frequency waves are set up in a space between Earth's surface and the ionosphere. It constitutes a concave spherical cavity resonator a conductive sphere surrounded by a dielectric and Schumann found that when ELF wavelengths come close in length to that of the circumference of the earth, a resonance system which produces the quote-unquote Schumann resonances is set up. Power spectra of these resonances reveal amplitude peaks at 7.8, 14.1, 20.3, 26.4, and 32.5 hertz, all within the ELF range. So the idea is that this this resonance is, you know, always present on the earth in between, you know, the surface and the ionosphere and that any kind of fluctuations within this resonance cause effects on humans that that kind of pushes us out of sync with with our planet in a way and might cause different behaviors, um, you know, maybe social unrest. These are just kind of speculations that are out there. They've been kind of hijacked by new age, you know, people who want to, you know, sell you fucking crystals to, uh, you know, keep, keep your resonance in, in check and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, there seems to be, you know, something to it. If you think about it, we've evolved on this planet, you know, with this same frequency in between the surface of the Earth and, you know, the ionosphere and along with the resonances might make sense that any kind of per- perturbation or whatever you want to call it to that signal could affect us biologically in a way. What this book does is it goes through studies that, you know, have pretty good scientific proof that these frequencies, you know, coming from the cosmos, like they talk about extraterrestrial Wavelengths that come down and we're basically in a resonance with with everything in the universe It sounds super woo and that kind of thing, but it does cite a bunch of studies I just wanted to read a couple of them as for what can happen to living beings in such fields Some of the evidence is quite alarming In one german experiment honeybees were confined to an area containing a field of 50 hertz at 6,000 volts per meter The bees became not only very restless, but so aggressive that they began to attack each other. Broods inside the hive were destroyed. Newly populated hives were abandoned in three days, while one whole hive inadvertently committed mass suicide by blocking the entrance to their hive, their normal defense against attackers from outside, and they suffocated. Another recent German experiment has shown that rats kept in an artificial 50 hertz field at 15 kilovolts per meter for 50 days had their heartbeats slowed down under the ELF field influence, the effect building up with repeated exposure. The purpose of this test was to find out whether the stringent regulations enforced in the USSR regarding work near high-voltage cables were justified. It seems they are. Yeah, so that kind of shit is pretty fucking nuts.
1: God damn.
0: um, Yeah, dude. So in 1974, this group of researchers um, wanted to prove that artificial ultraviolet radiation by itself could stimulate cell division. So, to find out how information could get from one cell to another, they set up a test designed to show how cells would radiate under stress. All right, this is wild. Uh, They put two identical tissue cultures in separate sealed glass containers and placed a quartz barrier between them. Quartz, unlike ordinary glass, allows ultraviolet radiation to pass through it. Then they contaminated one culture with a lethal virus and noted that the other culture also began to suffer, as if it too had been given a fatal dose. Next, they took away the quartz and inserted an ordinary glass shield. The result was the uncontaminated culture went on growing normally while the other one died. This is said to have been repeated 5,000 times with a high rate of success. Uh, This claim has some wild implications. It's even been suggested that when they managed to destroy a culture screened from the virus by quartz, it was not the virus that killed, but an EM representation of it. Does this mean that an EM quote-unquote virus pattern could be broadcast over TV channels by mistake or on purpose to infect cultures or people at a distance? We hope not. Yeah, electromagnetic representation of a virus uh, being transmitted through TV channels while you're watching TV. Um, Yet it is not... Altogether unreasonable to suggest that EM plays a greater part in the shaping of living forms that is generally admitted.
1: Well, that's that term mind war, bro. It's yeah. like you hear that term thrown around constantly. The, the point Aquino makes is that he thought the future of warfare was not shooting each other and bombing each other. He thought the future of warfare was manipulating your perspective and manipulating your idea of like right and wrong. I don't. I I don't know, man. It just harkens back to that slide nine shit. It just puts a pit in your stomach because, like, I hope that our country and I am confident and optimistic our country does use those technologies. If if any capacity they are used, it's in a legal, safe, good way. I'm scared as fuck about another country having (laughs) that. You know, or a
0: non-state actor. Oh, dude, uh, that's
1: a whole other terrorists. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um so in, on a lighter note, well, this isn't really a lighter note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is uh crazy too. Um so strobe lights flashing at 10 hertz, right, can cause uh I guess I guess seizures. Um ten hertz is the dominant brainwave frequency of um DMN, I guess, dissociated state. This book basically postulates that anything like lights being flashed at ten Hertz, you know like regardless if it's like a strobe light, you know it it they basically talk about these roads in France that that are lined with trees and if the sun is setting or rising and it lines up to where the light is flashing in between the trees depending on the speed you're going in your car, that could turn into the same exact thing pretty much as, as a light flashing 10 hertz at you. So it could put you in a dissociated state and you could just fucking, like, crash your car because because the light is pulsing through the trees um, at a specific, you know, 10 hertz rate. I've tried to do the math on that. I couldn't fucking <laughs> figure it out. But, uh, yeah, they're basically saying you know maybe speed up and slow down on these tree lined streets uh, <laughs> or else you might like dissociate and crash your fucking car um and then another thing that they also mentioned in this is uh helicopter pilots they're subject to the flashing sunlight through the rotors above their heads uh which theoretically puts them in the same potential position um so yeah that's a really interesting thing i never thought about before that
1: you know a weird one that I heard, like, a rumor about was that, like, uh there's one type of technology that can invoke a spiritual experience. Like, for whatever people cross-culturally describe as being like, oh, my God, this is, like, a very special spiritual thing with an angel or a deva or whatever the fuck people believe in. Like, apparently that can be invoked technologically. Apparently. I don't know. I was going to... I don't even know if you want to include this, but there's a there's a part of uh, John Keel's The Eighth Tower that talks about uh, materializations and why that might be. And he's also talking about the influence of like how how the ancient people thought about these ideas of like parts of our Earth having rhythms and parts of our Earth being bathed in different amounts of rays. You know what I mean, like, because he makes the point that like, uh, people, a lot of people believe in astrology. You know, like, read their horoscopes and truly think that like, for whatever reason, the stars are telling them what the future will be. And but the ancients apparently knew that like, uh, if you study the stars closely enough, you'll understand the future, the past, the present, whatever. Keel was kind of. Harsh on that, and was like, uh, we have like this garbled idea of what astrology even was or is or why it's even important that Jupiter is in a certain spot. And uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna blast through this real quick. And if you want to include it, that's fine. But if not, it's fine. He goes. Forbidden books on black magic, witchcraft, and ancient religious beliefs all describe this basic materialization process, including solemn warnings to avert the eyes when you materialize an angel or demon through some secret rite, lest you suffer from conjunctivitis and other painful maladies produced by the rays of the electromagnetic spectrum. All mythology tells how one should not gaze upon the countenance of materialized God. Although they lacked proper terminology for these effects and were obliged to speak in terms of rays and vibrations. Secret cults throughout the ages knew that entities moved into our reality through process of altering frequencies. In Babylonia, and probably in much earlier cultures, learned men were also aware of the fact that the earth is constantly being bathed in rays from outer space, and that somehow these rays influence the human condition. They attempted to define this mathematically through the science of astrology. They knew these mysterious rays Definitely affected biological organisms, and the rays fluctuated in intensity at different times of the year, and they assumed these rays influenced different people in different ways. By observing the movements of the stars over periods of hundreds of years, they concluded the rays were controlled by such movements. Eventually, they went even further presuming that the positions of the stars at the time of birth had some direct effect on the personalities and lives of individual humans. A large part of that early astrological knowledge is now lost. Modern astrology is based on the fragmented residue of that knowledge. The movements of the stars and planets are, of course, largely illusory. The Earth is moving instead— And what we see from this pitiful drifting speck of cosmic flotsam is not a valid view of the cosmos. The movement of the planets and stars doesn't really mean a damn thing. What is important is the movement of the Earth and its position and orbit at different points in time. We are moving continuously through vast fields of energy and space. Some of these fields undoubtedly have a great biological effect. It doesn't matter at all that Venus is in conjunction with Jupiter. What does matter, apparently, is that the planet Earth is traveling through a field of energy of a certain intensity at a certain time. If you were born in 1940, you were bathed in rays quite different from those that might have affected people born in, say, 1910. Modern astrology is merely a corrupted method for translating these influences into humanly acceptable terms. I thought that that was really cool. Even before we had uh modern science that just shows that people were thinking about our earth's rhythms and how it affects us biologically. And it seems like what we have now is like this garbled version of that that's, uh, you know what I'm saying? It seems like yeah. he, he used the term largely illusory because, like, when we look up at the stars, we're seeing a much different picture of what's actually next to us and close to us and where we're going. I don't know. It makes me wonder about
0: geomagnetic pole reversals. Like, when you think about South Atlantic anomaly <laughs> getting bigger, I guess. I don't know. I read yesterday that it's, like, splitting in two. And uh, who knows what kind of horrifying shit that's going to bring about. But Can um, I
1: ask you something dumb? Yeah. What the fuck is a pole reversal? Like I keep hearing that term and I don't know what that means or what to think about it. Um, so, it's
0: it it's not even like the reversal that's going to be a problem. It's like the weakening of the mag- Earth's magnetic field leading up to it and after it. So it's when it's when the polarity of of the Earth's magnetic field like flips. Yeah, it's happened you know, a bunch of times, and I actually read an article on it that, that one of them happened uh, f- like 42,000 years ago, and it was apparently... Of the
1: sun or the earth? The earth. Oh, shit. Um,
0: so the one that happened 40... I guess it's 41,000 years ago. They call it the Adams event. So the study... Used ancient New Zealand kari trees uh, to develop a detailed record of atmospheric radiocarbon levels across, I think it's pronounced the Lechamps ex- excursion. The crazy thing about this one is, uh, so 40, 42,000 years ago, there was a shitload more ultraviolet radiation that came down. Like the magnetic field of Earth was so weak that like basically all these cosmic rays and uh, uv radiation could actually go through and, and and hit the surface of the earth and interestingly this coincided with cave art like the explosion of cave art across across the world so their theory is like once this magnetic pole flip and the um associated weakening of the magnetic field during that time happened and all this ultraviolet light was um you know hitting the actual surface of the Earth. That caused us and our ancestors. That's when we went into the caves, and that's why there's such a huge um, explosion of cave art around that time. Is because we, that's we took refuge in the cave in the caves, and that's when the Neanderthals died out. Um, there's a lot of
1: stuff that like lines up with that. Dude, the the I just want to say when you when you mention like rays and radiation and how it affects us as people Mm -hmm. is that like i'm sure people already know this but like areas that have the most like radiation like contamination or uh inappropriate spilling of shit that's where you see so many mutations in the area around it and the nature around it like it radiation can truly fuck with dna in Mm -hmm. a big way and really like hurt uh the genes and like in my opinion, genetic stock of whatever community it's affecting when it's really like in a, a – a, the, when the exposure is too great, I should say. And yeah. that reminds me of what Tom DeLong has said about like how our DNA has to do with the other's idea of like proliferating on this planet. And it could be that like too much or too little exposure to radiation – may throw us off of where we need to be if our DNA is some sort of commodity. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, it's dark. Gosh, it freaks me out. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the other interesting
0: thing is the use of um, ochre skin coverings. At, what is that? Natural clay earth pigment. Okay. So use of that for sunscreen around that time is another interesting correlation they made to that the time of that whole reversal because they, I guess they insinuated that they used, they used that for sunscreen. The other interesting part about the, um, cave art is that it was so common. Their hypothesis is that it definitely had to have happened before, you know, they all moved into the caves.
1: You know, who wrote a cool book? It's a fictional book that Travis Taylor guy, he wrote a book called Saving Proxima and it's like a sci-fi book and one of the parts of the book they're looking these scientists it's essentially they're we find out that there's like another civilization out there that needs help and i guess we go to send a team to go assist and there's a part of this book where um it's like set in the future for one and it says that like uh there's these scientists examining cave paintings and they're talking about how like the people of the time whatever civilization was before us what they were depicting was that like these things existed in a very electromagnetic way and that uh the last solar flare is what likely took them out or something like that it's it was it was saying that uh the properties of that previous civilization was much more, like, acclimated to a different amount of radiation and solar exposure. And for whatever reason, whether it was some, like, pole flip or solar flare, that that was what some of these paintings were depicting, was that this that's civilization cool. got, like... Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, Travis Taylor's a cool guy. And uh, I don't know if people know that he's a sci-fi writer, too. But uh, yeah, that's a smart. that's a cool... Yeah, he gives real interesting perspectives on things. But uh, that was a a big part of his book, Saving Proxima, was what we're discussing right now. Yeah, there's actually three days ago,
0: a new study came out uh, saying they found evidence of a solar flare 14,300 years ago. That was 10 times more intense than the Carrington event. So that's kind of scary. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah, Carrington event was in 1859, and it knocked out telegraph lines and says it tricked many people into thinking it was morning at 1 a.m. Yet that event pales in comparison to another solar storm that occurred 14,300 years ago. So the, the sun is uh, seems a little more unpredictable than mainstream science would lead us to believe. And just the effects these things have on us just in general. Um it's interesting to think about, you know, especially when you think about like the Schumann resonance and how we evolves with that frequency up until this time and any, you know, just wondering what any kind of fluctuation in that base frequency. I don't know, man. It's uh it's weird
1: to think about. That is an interesting now that you say it like that, I wonder if the shoe like say the Schumann resonance is just the Earth's baseline. Like that's what the Earth's uh Yeah. That's Frequent. right. So like let's say that the Schumann resonance has changed over time and that at one point instead of that 7.83 that it was like 6.74 or something just that slight little difference could yeah. probably influence all of the earth's biosphere and like well that's everything small, within... small like
0: amounts of electromagnetic radiation like throw off birds migrating. Um, right patterns. So like translate that like fluctuations into the resonance that we're, we're used to um, on, you know, every day. Any fluctuations in that could throw off whatever.
1: Do you um, know if the resonance is supposed to increase or decrease? Or is it trending a certain direction? Do we know have we ever measured it other than 7.83 to like in terms of our modern understanding of measuring this or is it just like no,
0: I think that there's like some fucking Russian website, that like people screen, screen grab from when there's fluctuations in it. And they're like, uh, people are going to fucking go crazy. You know, it's basically what they were talking about in mind war is the, mm. the Schumann resonance and, and fluctuations within the, the natural electromagnetic environment or, um, yeah, just earth's, uh, magnetic field. And, it uh, <laughs> really makes you wonder what, what's going to happen. Cause, there's definitely going to be another reversal, and it seems like it's coming up soon. Um, what? Yeah. What do you mean? Why do you know what do you, that? What do you mean? What do I mean? The fucking <laughs> yeah. The uh, our field, our magnetic field's been getting weaker, like more, more progressively. It's like speeding up. The shit's happening, dude.
1: <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Is there a way not nah. to like? save us from That's that or is that even a uh, existential threat um, you know what i'm saying
0: well i mean doesn't seem like anyone's doing anything about it uh except elon musk who's like trying to drill into the earth and go to mars
1: <laughs> dude i was gonna ask <laughs> you about
0: wonder him. like you gotta like like peter thiel has like a fucking bunker in new zealand like look at what these rich like billionaires who have fucking you know clearances with the dod to like do all these contracts and shit like look at what they're doing tell me how that doesn't freak you out that they're like going full-on like doomsday you know oh yeah they they have information and uh
1: dude the head of nestle said he wanted to own all the water what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) dude maybe maybe i could be wrong i heard that from bill burr but he said that the fucking head of Nestle was in an interview. And <laughs> I he, saw he, something about he, him. He said that he he alluded to the idea that he would like Nestle to own all of the fresh water so they could sell it. I'm like, that is the weirdest shit ever. Water, how The fact that we even sell water at oh, all tells you we got some shit majorly wrong. Because, yeah. dude, water is basic sh- How That's like in the fucking uh, Lorax when they're charging for air fucking buying fresh air like dude you know you can buy air i just one of the <laughs> fuck you go to oxygen what? bars you know yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude it's so weird have you ever been to one of those i haven't but uh my friend took a picture when he was at one and it's just like everyone's got like the fucking tubes in their nose and it's like it looks like a hospital i don't know <laughs> it's so weird <laughs> it
1: basically is <laughs>
0: like everyone's sick. Yeah man, I think that's uh I think we're good. We just
1: Hold on. I I just pulled up the quote from this Nestle guy so he doesn't sue me cuz <laughs> yeah. This is way this is what he says. Water of course is the most I already fucked it up. Water is, of course, the most important raw material we have today in the world. It's a question of whether we should privatize the normal water supply for the population. And there are two different opinions on the matter. The one opinion, which I think is extreme, is represented by the NGOs who bang on about declaring water a public right. That means that as a human being, you should have a right to water. That's an extreme solution. The other view says <laughs> that water is a foodstuff like any other and like any other foodstuff it should have a market value. Personally, I believe it's better to give a foodstuff a value so that we're all aware it has its price and then we should and then that one should take specific measures for the part of the population that has no access to this water and there are many different possibilities there so just these for clarity that's from snopes crazy to... <laughs> these people are out of their
0: fucking minds this, this gaslighting oh my oh god anyway <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck nestle bro yeah dude fuck nestle patterns <laughs> tell stories we're boycotting you nestle oh my god it's horrible Football games starting in two minutes. So, Hell yeah, um,
1: dude! I'm about to take first place too. Oh god! I hope you looked. I already scored 44, bro. <laughs> this guy's sweating. He didn't respond to my shit talking at all, and yeah, he's like, I, ah. play,
0: "I play my wife this week, so lose lose on my end." Um, nice. Yeah, you got anything <laughs> to
1: plug? Um, not particularly right now. Oh, we're doing a
0: space for um UFO Twitter Week, so. Oh yeah,
1: we are doing a space. Look out for that. On when is Twitter. that? Uh,
0: the week of the first. So,
1: some, oh okay. So soon. Soonish.
0: Yeah. Um, we'll probably have another episode out before before we do that. But um, yeah. Be on the lookout for that. I have a new article out. that's um, kind of <laughs> kind of expanded on the Antarctica thing we were talking about last week, but uh also added um, yeah a bunch more stuff to it and uh, it's 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 a fun one go check it out I think it's called uh, the frozen something <laughs> the frozen veil um, yeah it's fun go check it out and um, yeah I think we're good man
1: sweet sounds good all right. thank you guys yeah
0: thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you all next week